Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, today we are going to talk about what it li- looks like to live an authentic Christian life that is filled of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to use that passage that you saw on the screen of Stephen to help us do that. Now, those words, filled of the Holy Spirit, uh, they come with a lot of baggage. Uh, They come with a lot of confusion. They come with a lot of hurt. Uh, Some people, when they hear the term filled of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that comes to mind is a bunch of Christians uh, doing what some would consider to be unusual things. Speaking in strange utterances, thrashing around on the ground, making uh, predictions about the future. And as such, uh, for some Christians, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that they want absolutely nothing to do with. Yet for others, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that uh, seems to be reserved for a special class of Christians, some kind of spiritual elite, almost a badge of honor that, that makes them better than other people, especially those who don't have, potentially, that weren't quite filled with the Holy Spirit. But both of those views, uh, where being filled with the Holy Spirit is something to avoid like COVID, or where being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, creates two classes of Christian, neither one of those views uh, are compatible with God's Word. And I believe why the reason why there's a lot of confusion uh, in, in Christianity regarding this is because people don't understand exactly what the Bible says. And as such, because we don't understand it, we tend to either flee from it or we tend to abuse it. And my hope is that today we're going to be able to change a little bit of that Uh, God willing, over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, you and I will not only gain a a proper understanding of what the Bible says about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we'll also leave with uh, this place, hopefully with a a passion in our hearts, that God might do that in our lives. So in order to do that, as I said, we're going to turn and look at the life of a young man by the name of Stephen, who the Bible uh, repeatedly declares was full of the Holy Spirit. And from his life, we're going to glean some characteristics that should flow from people's lives who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6. It's going to be on the big screen. We're going to read together all of Acts chapter 6. We're going to work our way through Acts chapter 7, but we're not going to read very much of Acts chapter 7. So if uh, if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, if you would please do that. And if you could do that at home, that would be great. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied in greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sisa, Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all that sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel." This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, the book of Acts records uh, the earliest history of the Christian church. And it begins shortly after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And at that time, uh, the church, which was uh, limited to the city of Jerusalem, or was basically just inside the city of Jerusalem, consisted of only 120 people whose leader was the Apostle Peter. And they were a ragtag bunch of folks whose lives had been radically changed with Jesus. And they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do next now that Jesus has ascended into heaven. And as they try to figure this out, God does this amazing thing, and God gives, him, gives them his Holy Spirit, the very presence and power of God that lives inside of all who repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That process of, of, of when the, the Holy Spirit actually comes inside of us at our conversion is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we get this right because there is a great difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled of the Holy Spirit. And all Christians, when they repent of their sins and they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as I said, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And probably the clearest place in all of Scripture where you see this is 1 Corinthians 12. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For in one Spirit we were what? all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In other words, if we are Christians, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our status in life, we have been baptized at the time of our conversion into the Holy Spirit, and now God's Spirit lives inside of us. However, being filled of the Spirit is something far different from being baptized in the Spirit. We're going to see that in just a few moments. Now, it's at this point in the book of Acts 
with the first Christians now empowered by the Spirit of God, that the church begins to rapidly expand. Peter's and others, they begin to preach, and, and thousands upon thousands of people, of Jews, uh, convert to Christianity. And by the time that we get to, to chapter 4, this fledgling group of, uh, of, of this fledgling Christian church, I should say, draws the ire of the, the Jewish religious leaders. Because the Jewish religious leaders thought that they had crushed Christianity when they had crucified Jesus. But, but now that Jesus has risen from the dead, and now the church is literally, it's, it's on fire, and people are, are converting to Christianity like crazy, and the, the Jews want to do something about that. So what they do is in an effort to stop Christianity, they arrest Peter and John, they threaten them, and then they ultimately, they release him. And by the time that we get to chapter 6, which we've just read here, the, the harassment from the Jewish authorities is, is getting very, very strong. And at this point, the, the young church, which is still just in the city of Jerusalem, ha, has grown to such a point that the, the 12 apostles, they're, they're no longer able to care for all the needs of the people. And they're especially not able to care for the needs of the widows. And so what they do is they decide that they're going to appoint a group of people that, that will take care of serving the people in the church. And the qualifications of those people are recorded in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching and the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you, among you, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, these men, were, they're supposed to be of good repute. In other words, they have a good reputation in the community, in the church. They're supposed to be filled with wisdom, but they're also supposed to be filled of the Spirit of God or be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what exactly does that mean? Well, perhaps the easiest way to explain it is to look at a statement that's made by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. In this particular chapter, the, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Christians that are living in Ephesus to abstain from all that is evil and to embrace that which is of God. And at the end of this discourse that he has, he summarizes what he's saying, starting in verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So what the Apostle Paul does here is he contrasts being filled with God's Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit with being drunk or filled with wine. And the idea is that Christians are to be controlled by God's Spirit and not by, be controlled by anything else out there in the world. Now, being filled with the Spirit is something that happens in cooperation with God. Let me explain that. The verb 
to be filled in this context. It's in the present tense. In other words, it's something that is happening in the here and now. It's not a past event. It's not some future event. It's something that happens in the present. It's also an imperative, which means that it's a command. So that means that that we have something to do with it. But also, it's in the passive voice, which means that it's something that actually happens to us. So what you have here is is being filled by the Holy Spirit is when we are actively striving to be obedient to God and God is actively providing power and ministry, joy and worship, and deeper fellowship with him. Now we need to realize that that this being filled in the Holy Spirit, it's not some kind of one-time event. It's a lifestyle in which God transforms our lives and the lives of those who come in contact with us as God's Spirit is working. So given that understanding of being filled of the Holy Spirit, the question becomes, what in the world does that actually look like in the process of things? And if we look at Stephen's life, we can see some attributes of a person who is actually filled of the Spirit of God. So let's take a a brief time to look at a a couple attributes. The first one is this, that spirit-filled Christians, they're all about serving other people. You see, the apostles tasked the congregation to find seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom to meet, and full of the spirit and of wisdom to meet the physical needs of the widows in the church. And in verse 5 of Acts 6, we see who they find. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then they list a whole slew of other guys. Now notice that Stephen is the one, he tops the list. And what is specifically said of him? He is a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And what is this man who is full of the Holy Spirit, to do. He's to serve tables. He's to take care of widows. Now, that's pretty amazing to me. Here you have a a person who is of good repute, who is wise, who is chosen by the community, who is full of the Holy Spirit, and the dude or the dudes are tasked with waiting tables. And from my experience, most people who possess those qualifications aren't too keen on serving other people. From my experience, when we possess those kinds of qualifications, we want to be the boss. We want to call the shots. We we don't want to be waiting on other people. We want other people to be be waiting on us. Somehow we think that we have, have graduated to the bigger things of Christianity, the more important things of Christianity. Sadly, when that attitude enters our lives, it demonstrates that we really don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 20, Uh, The mother of Jesus' disciples, James and John, she comes to Jesus with her boys. She says, you know, Jesus, hey, I was was thinking, I I got this really, like, great idea. I just kind of wanted to run and buy you. But, you know, I got really good boys. 
And uh, I think that, you know, when you go into your kingdom and my boys come into your kingdom, it, it would be really like a wise thing for you, you to let my, my one kid sit on your left and my other child sit on your right. And do you remember what Jesus says? This is what he says. He calls his disciples to him and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I love how Jesus deals with people here. Because if this mom was coming to me, and I was Jesus, and she wanted to have me put his one son here and his other son here, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Have you lost your mind, woman? How, how puffed up can you be about your kids? They're not all that great. I mean, we all think our kids are wonderful, right? But the reality is they're stinkers, right? And, and so are James and John. And so, so here Jesus, he doesn't like berate this woman. Instead, he says, you know what? Just look at how the world operates. The rich oppress the poor. The powerful, they, they trample the weak. And brothers and sisters, we know how this works because we've done both things. We have oppressed people who have less than us or who we think are less than us. But on the flip side, we've also been oppressed by other people. And the crazy thing is, even the poorest among us, they find people who are poorer than them so that they can oppress them. And even the most oppressed among us, they find people who they can ultimately oppress. And, and Jesus comes along and says, this is not how it's supposed to be. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave. And then he says, if you have trouble doing that, look at me. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came not to live, but to die. You see, one of the clearest indicators of someone whose life has been filled of the Holy Spirit is that they joyfully serve others. Not out of guilt or compulsion, but out of joy. And they do it because their Savior joyfully served others. Now a second characteristic that we learn from Stephen's life is that Spirit-filled Christians, they demonstrate God's power. Look at verses 8 and 9. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogues of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from uh, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, we don't know exactly what the great signs and wonders were that Stephen was doing among the people. Most probably, some of those signs and wonders was that he was actively healing people because that was a, a ministry of Jesus, and we see through the book of Acts that people are getting healed by Jesus' followers. But what we do know is this. What we can be certain of this is Jesus is doing these... Or, or, 
Stephen is doing these great wonders and signs in the midst of at least one Jewish synagogue, in the midst of one Jewish congregation. And we also know that these great signs and wonders are involved with the clear and intelligible communication of the gospel to the Jews who are gathered there. And Stephen communicates the, the gospel so clearly in the midst of these synagogues, and he's so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that the other people, they can't withstand it. As a matter of fact, we're told that many priests actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now what happens is, many times, we as Christians... We look for these signs and wonders to uh, occur in the midst of, of some church worship service that is filled with a bunch of other Christians. But the reality is, more times than not, when we look in the Bible, we see that they occur in the context of evangelism and in the midst of those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. And if you survey the pages of the New Testament, wherever you see these, these signs and wonders, it's always designed to point non-believers to Christ. Not for some kind of show, not for some kind of ego boost as a Christian, but to open the eyes of those who've yet to believe. And when we're full of the Holy Spirit, God will empower us to share his gospel many times in potentially hostile places with boldness and power. I can remember a number of years ago, and our uh, living water was maybe nine years old, 10 years old, something like that. And, and there, there's a wonderful uh, family here in our church, an older family, African-American family, and uh, who I, I just love to pieces. We've gone on missions trips together, and uh, their son, who was probably 40, 41, 42, something like that, uh, committed suicide. And uh, this family, they, 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 they called me, and, and the wife said that their son was gone. And I mean, I was like, what do you mean, gone? And they said, he, he's gone. He, he's died. Uh, he took his own life. And I said, Pastor Mike, we would like you to do the, the, the funeral service. And, I, and that's, that's a huge honor, obviously. And so I said, I'd be happy to do that. Now, the thing is that they, they had come to Living Water from being at, at predominantly black churches. And they're from the, from the Baltimore area. And so uh, I drove down one, uh, one evening to Baltimore to, to, their, to the family's home down in Baltimore. They lived up in Harrisburg, but the extended family lived in Baltimore. And so I, I knock on the door, and, and th this man who I don't know answers the door, and he looks at me. He says, how can I help you? And I'm like, well, my, my, my name is, is Mike. I'm uh, the pastor who's going to be doing the funeral. And uh, I came to meet with uh, the family. And this guy is like looking at me like there was a white man at my door. And, uh, and so then the family members, they come and they get me and they, they welcome me in. It's, it's just very, very gracious. But I, I took this young man completely off guard. So now my senses are very heightened because I know that I'm going to be doing a, a funeral service that is going to be filled with people who are completely unlike me. And I love this family, and I do not want to blow this. And so uh, a couple days later, you know, I wrote the funeral message and stuff like that, and I'm driving down to Baltimore, and I am terrified. 
And, and normally Kathy goes along with me to those things, and it's, it's nice to have someone supporting you, but she couldn't be there. And, and I'm just praying the whole time. I'm like, God, don't let my pasty whiteness wreck this thing. Don't let that happen. And so I, I get into this church service, and I'm, I'm the only white guy, the only one. And I'm going to be the one leading this service. And I am absolutely terrified. Because I don't want to say anything stupid. I don't want to do anything stupid. This family has already been hurt enough. They don't need some, some guy who's not completely familiar with their culture to totally mess stuff up. And I can remember walking up into that podium. And, and I just felt the Spirit of God on me in a way that I had never, ever experienced in my life before. And, and I know that it was because uh, uh, the, the husband and wife, they, I'm sure they were praying for me like crazy because they, you know, I'm white and then you drain all the, the blood out of my skin. I mean, I'm looking like snow, basically. And, uh, you know, God allowed me to minister to that family in an incredible way. And it had nothing to do with me, but it was God's Spirit working inside of me and allowing His power to be shown. And, 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 and God does those things. So many times we think of these signs and wonders and stuff like that and think things should be blowing up and exploding and, you know, heaven's opening. And, and many times it's just humble Christians trying to love Jesus and to love others. Now, there is a, a third application that you can learn or characteristic that you can learn, we can learn from Stephen's life. And it's this, the spirit-filled Christians, they display grace in the midst of injustice. You see, not everybody in the synagogue was impressed with the work that God was doing through Stephen. Look at verses 11 through 15. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. Have you noticed, whenever someone is unable to refute what someone else is saying, those other people, they lose all semblance of civility. And they result into name-calling, twisting of one's words, lying, physical intimidation, in order to, to force the other person to back down. We see that in, in this crazy polarized culture that we have right now. If, if, you, if my argument, you can't refute my argument, what happens then is, you know what, you're just gonna, you're gonna lie about me, you're going to say, call me names, you're gonna try to threaten me. You're, you don't resort to discourse, you, you resort to, to being cruel and mean. And this is exactly what happens to Stephen. The religious leaders, they can't refute 
the great work that is God is doing through Stephen's actions and words. And the people in the synagogue, uh, they're accepting the gospel, so the leaders, they got to do something. So what do they do? They twist Stephen's words. They lie about him. They produce false witnesses. They seize him. They bring him what? They bring him before a, a, a court that is not just. This is a horrible situation. But notice how Stephen responds. Verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? In other words, of all these things that you have been accused about, so. And look at what he says. Brothers and fathers, hear me. Now Stephen, because he's full of the Holy Spirit, he is unfazed by the lies. He's unfazed by the threats. He's unfazed by the physical abuse. He's unfazed by the biased court. And, and as these guys, they look at him, as these people who, who hate him, who are against him, they look at him, they see what? They see the face of an angel. And Bible commentator Ellie Brown says this, this was not the mild, gentle look that is often seen in the painting of an angel, nor is it the fierce look of an avenging angel, but a look that told of inspiration within, clear, yes, burning with inner light. You see, Stephen looks at these guys and he says, let me talk to you. And what does he call them? He calls them brothers and fathers. He's respectful in this. You see, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, folks, we can withstand the insults, the threats, the intimidation, and the injustice of the world, and we can do it with grace and kindness because God is at work in us and through us because God is ultimately our defender. Have people treated you with contempt and injustice? Has your character been maligned? Have you been threatened or are treated poorly? Listen to the words of Psalm 27 and be encouraged. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. And though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his intent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That is what, what God does for those who are sold out to him. That, that God stands in, and he is the defender. He is the one who protects us. We don't necessarily have to fight back all of the time because God will do the fighting for us. Now, another attribute that flows from his life is that spirit-filled Christians know and actively communicate the word of God. Now, for this characteristic, I've got to give you a little homework. 
Uh, there's way too much to read in chapter 7 here in this worship service. So go home today, this afternoon at some point, and take a read of the speech that Stephen makes in Acts chapter 7. Because it is the longest speech, the longest discourse, the longest sermon in the entirety of the book of Acts. And, and Stephen, he is on trial. And he, is, 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 he has to defend himself. He's, he's his own defense attorney. But rather than defending himself in an attempt to win an acquittal, because that's typically what we want to do, right? When someone accuses us, we defend ourselves. The idea is that we want to be found what? Not guilty. We want to be acquitted. We want to be set free. That's not his intent when you read Acts chapter 7. Instead, what he defends is not himself. He defends Christianity. And as you read his defense, you will find that he's not only a man who knows God's word, but he is a man who knows how to apply God's word to the situation that he's put in. And brothers and sisters, one of the clearest marks of an individual who is full of the spirit of God is how they know, love, and apply God's word in everyday life. Why do we make such a big deal about preaching from the Bible here at Living Water? Why do we ask you to stand for the reading of Scripture? Why do we want you to, to bring your Bibles and your smartphones with your Bible apps to church? Why, why do we want to challenge you to, to read God's Word every day? Well, Romans 1 and 1 Timothy through our 2 Timothy 3 tell us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That, that God's word is his power. Similarly, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, God's word, folks, that's where the truth is. That's where the power is. And if we desire to be people who are filled with the spirit of God, we've got to be people who are filled with the word of God. Now here's a little preview of Acts chapter 7 so that you might be inspired to read it. Verse 51, this is how Stephen wraps up his defense. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You see, clearly... Stephen's end goal in his defense wasn't to save his hide, wasn't to get an acquittal. Instead, what is he doing? He is seeking to be faithful to the word of God. 
And this brings us to the final two attributes of those who are full of the Holy Spirit. Turn your attentions to, to Acts chapter 7, 54 to 60. Now when they heard these things, that would be the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there the Bible says it again, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, spirit-filled Christians, they look to God and God alone in the midst of adversity. See, most likely, you and I will never have to face what Stephen faced, where we are literally martyred for our faith. Yet there are going to be times, they probably have been times, there will be times in the future where we will have to suffer for our faith. There will be times when we are rejected by our loved ones because of what we believe. There may be times that we lose our jobs because of our Christian convictions or friends or opportunities or respect because we want to remain faithful to God's word. And when that happens, which is inevitable, the question becomes, what in the world are we going to do? You see, when Stephen was faced with, with losing his life, he didn't cave. He didn't cry. He didn't beg. He didn't deny. Instead, he looks to God. Stephen understood the, the words of the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in Corinth before there ever was an Apostle Paul and before there ever was Christians living in Corinth. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. You see, those who are filled with, with God's spirit, they're able to be of good courage. Why? Because they realize that this place, this world, is ultimately, it's not our home. And so many of us live like this is it. I heard this analogy one time, you know, when, when you go into a motel room or a hotel room, you don't redecorate the place as if you're going to stay. That's the way that you and I live, though. It's like we move into the hotel and then we, we reupholster the, the furniture. And the fact of the matter is, is we're here for, for a, a blip of time. 
If we get 70, 80, 90 years out of this place, that's it. And, 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 and compared to eternity, this is just, it's a flash, it's a vapor. And, and, and what happens is if we're truly strangers and aliens, if we're simply passing through this life, and what God, what's really happening is God is, is God is here, why? To be used for his glory. And when he's accomplished all of his good work in us, we can be confident he's going to call us home. And so what happens here is it's okay if we're misunderstood. It's okay if we're misrepresented. It's okay if we're mistreated. Because we can still have hope. Why? Because in the midst of the adversity, we've got Jesus. We've got eternity. We've got heaven. These trials, they're light and momentary. They're passing. Do they hurt? Yes. Do they stink? Yes. Do we not want to have them? Yes. But they're transient. And because we have Jesus, we're able to do for others Something for which Jesus has done for us. And that something is the last attribute of those who are spirit-filled Christians. You see, we're like Jesus. Spirit-filled Christians are like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He forgave his enemies. You see, as Stephen is being barraged with rocks, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where in the world have we seen that before? Where have we seen the the victim asking forgiveness for the perpetrators? Where have we seen the innocent asking forgiveness for the guilty? Where have we seen the oppressed asking for forgiveness for the oppressed? It happened on the cross of Calvary. You see, the pinnacle of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you and I, we actually become like Jesus. When we seek to serve rather than to be served. When we demonstrate love in the midst of hate. When we give justice to those who do injustice to us. When we offer grace rather than condemnation. When we forgive that which is unforgivable. When we do those things, it is evident that the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of us. Because more than anything else, spirit-filled Christians, they're actually like Jesus. Now, before I close... Let me draw your attention to something that Stephen says in verse 58. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is the only place in the entirety of the Bible where Jesus is standing rather than sitting in the presence of God. Now let's unpack this for a second. In Hebrews chapter 10, this is what we read. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That verse tells us that that the sacrificial system, it ended with Jesus. 
it stopped. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. There's no need for any other sacrifice. Sacrifices are done, complete. Jesus sits down beside God the Father because the work is done. Now this statement is significant in the fact of how the sacrificial system worked in the Jewish temple. You see, the, the, the priests, they always had to give sacrifices because the people were always sinning. There was no perfect sacrifice. And so day in and day out, sacrifices are happening in the temple on and on and on again. So much so that there's no seat in the temple because the priests can't sit down because it symbolizes the need for the sacrifices to continue. But Hebrews tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he's the perfect sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice, a single one for all time. He sits down at the right hand of God because why? The work is done. So the question then is why in the world is Stephen looking to heaven and he looks to heaven and Jesus is standing rather than sitting? Well, folks... Stephen's earthly trial before the Jewish religious leaders wasn't his last trial. There was a final trial waiting for him. The same trial that is waiting for you and me. And that is our trial before God. And as Stephen is dying... God graciously allows Stephen to see what awaits for him in the final trial. For in the heavenly trial, Stephen doesn't have to testify on his behalf because Matthew 10 tells us this. So everyone who acknowledges me, these are Jesus' words, acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father is in heaven. I believe that Jesus was standing before God rather than sitting because he is pleading Stephen's case to the God of the universe. He, he is Stephen's defense attorney. And, and this is what he's saying. This one is mine. His sins have been covered by my blood. His righteousness has been guaranteed by my righteousness. And it was through my stripes that he has been healed. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who have repented of our sins, who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there will be that day that we will face that final trial. And on that day, Jesus will be standing before God the Father and he will be saying, that is mine. Their sins, which are many, have been covered by my infinite blood. They are righteous. He is righteous. She is righteous. Not of their own, but because I am righteous. And folks, when we live in the knowledge of that, there is no earthly trial which can come our way that we can't endure, especially when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Let us pray. Lord God, you are good.
you are so good. And Father, to possibly even think that Jesus would defend me on the day of judgment, Lord, it blows my mind. Lord God, it's, it's just incredible. It's incredible, Heavenly Father, that, 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 that all of my sins and all of the sins of those in this room who, who, who have received you, Lord, it it's, blows my mind that, 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 that Lord, that you would, would wipe them away. But Lord, you didn't erase them. Jesus, you paid for them with your blood and your body. You died. You took God's righteous wrath against my sin and against the sin of these people. You took it upon yourself. You didn't deserve it. But because you loved me, you loved them, you, you did it in and of yourself. Lord, that wasn't all you did. After you rose again, Lord, you, you poured out your spirit on us, the very presence of you living inside of us. Thank you for that. Thank you that, that your spirit brings conviction to my heart, brings comfort to my soul brings courage when I'm afraid brings forgiveness when I've sinned hope when I'm hopeless thank you Lord we sing you are a good good God Lord you are you are so good so worthy and Father we thank you for, for the, this meal that we're about to celebrate together right now we thank you that Lord you gave us a, a, a tangible reminder of the work on the cross Lord that, that this bread represents your body broken for us that this juice represents your blood shed for us and, and Lord as we contemplate that over the next couple minutes I pray that your spirit would speak deeply in our hearts for those in this room who've yet to come to faith to you I pray today would be the day of salvation I pray that today have Heavenly Father, would be the day that you draw them to yourself. I pray, Heavenly Father, that, that you would, would open their eyes to the depth of your, their sin as you have opened our eyes to the depths of our own sin. And I pray that, Lord God, that they would repent of their sins, recognizing there is no way that they can stand before a holy God on their own. And I pray that they would receive in faith your Son, Jesus Christ.